Hello, everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I am James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. On this show, we're going to the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, or day by day, until the end of time. That is right, Colin, and uh, this is going to be uh, one of our international episodes. Uh, mm. As you'll recall, we left our uh, our away team, if you will, uh, camping out. Um, Thompson trying to be the cool guy and not being the cool guy. <laughs> and not, um, yeah, failing not, at it. And so uh, we're going to find him doing much of the same the next day. Yeah. So this is uh, Agent Carter, uh, season one, episode five. You're going to start at 2153 and you're going to go on through the end of the episode. I have split this into uh, away and home. Um, oh, okay. They've cut back and forth, but I figured let's just talk about sure, yeah, away like in order. Yeah, and which then one? come back to home, right? And then you know, spoilers. It's gonna be that the people in the away come back home. So we're gonna talk about them. We're gonna talk about like Peggy Carter a lot. So I hope that yeah. everyone's prepared for that. All Wait, right. So we're this, gonna talk about Peggy Carter a lot in an episode about Agent Carter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. It's, uh, you know, life moves pretty fast. Um, <laughs> keep up. So you got to keep up. Um, so this is what happens. And I did copy this from the MCU wiki in an effort to be concise. Um, be concise. That's that. Uh, anyways. Wow. So uh, this is, <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. Okay. So. When the team infiltrates the Red Room Academy, they find a movie projector, which shows films filled with subliminal messages, such as instill fear. They also discover Ava, who uh, MCU Wiki has named, but nowhere else has named. And I don't know why they named her Ava or where that came from. So that's a fun thing. Uh, Who stabs Dum Dum Dugan and kills Junior Juniper before escaping. The team goes deeper into the compound and find Nikolai and Viktor Ivchenko, Nikolai, his last name isn't Ivchenko as far as I understand it. He just doesn't have a last name. Who are being held and forced to build a weapon from Stark Blueprints acquired by Leviathan. Carter frees the prisoners, but in the ensuing firefight with Leviathan operatives, Nikolai holds Happy Sam Sawyer hostage, hoping to trade him for his freedom. Hoping to trade Happy Sam for Nikolai's freedom. Mike Lee is killed, and tearfully, Ivchenko kills Nikolai. Meanwhile, Thompson freezes and is too scared to help in the shootout, so Carter rescues him and they escape with Ivchenko. As Carter bids farewell to the Howling Commandos, Ivchenko decides to go with her to the United States, claiming that he has nowhere else to go and that he would like to help the SSR stop the schemes of Leviathan. On the plane ride home, Thompson tells Carter the truth about how he became a war hero. Mm. The Japanese who entered their camp, this is the story he told the previous night around the campfire, the Japanese who entered their camp were holding a reg- a white flag of sur- were holding a white flag of surrender and that he only noticed the flag after murdering them or you know killing them. I guess murdering. I would say murder. Yeah, yeah, murder, but like murder has to have we're not going to do it again. After killing them because kill okay. In order to hide his actions, he buried the flag. He reveals to Carter that he's been struggling to talk about his actions ever since he came back from the war, and Carter assures him that he just did. So, ooh, Red Room, Red Rum is very good. I'm going to really quick change that. Something that you then ended up saying was like, oh, damn, that's better. 
See, sometimes you have an idea, but you don't know what to go with. And then you hear someone else recontextualize it and you go, there it is. Now, I want to have said Red red Room Nilic, but that's just a semantic sort of deal. Um, Because it's killing backwards. Okay, so, Colin, before I get into some uh, Avengers Ensemble, I got some facts. I got some trivia. I got a whole Cracker Jack's box cracker jack box full of stuff but i want to hear from you the prime cracker jack in my life what are your thoughts about this about this day in 1946 uh i like this in russia yeah sure um i like this because there's a interesting dynamic here of like i mean we'll probably spoil alert we sometimes record things out of order so by the time we get to the episode um for the other one for for what am I saying? When we get to the episode before this, yeah, uh, to actually record, we might get into this. But like this scene, I think, kind of continues this this th- uh, this thread of Thompson is, I think, uh, definitely a little bit of a big fish in a small pond, mm, and so, so I think that he feels like he's hot shit. In the SSR, yeah. which is funny because like it's not like the SSR is really, you know, small fish, right? Right. Uh, which is, I mean, you know, like it is. It's a, that's a big deal to be there. But I also think that really his worldview or his importance in the world is smaller than he thinks. It's a yeah. lot like being like the hometown hero, right? Right. Like the guy He's that's Mike like Dexter. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the you know the guy who was the quarterback that took the team to states, you yeah. know, back in high school, but like then also didn't really leave high school town, right. right? But then like he then didn't get a big paying job, so he's just like, you know, working at his dad's car dealership. But like to some extent, it's actually really sad. But like people who are local don't necessarily view it as such because like, oh, he's great. He's awesome. He's our hero. Mm. But also like gotcha. people yeah. who then come back home after having gone out and done big things that are like, dude, you're actually not really doing anything. Right. Like, right. And then he goes off to see like at the high school reunion goes to be like, oh, here, here's my time to flex. And it turns out that the guy that he was always picking on is, is actually now a published sci-fi author. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, not sure what it's that a- one is. Back to the Future. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, and yeah, no, it's just like, you know, he doesn't realize that, like, you know, he's been like kind of trash talking Carter, yeah. you know, to something. I mean, yeah. really just leaning in on the sort of sexist ideas that he has of like, she can't be that important. She's not that, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like noticing actually that she's really good at what she does. And these people that he lodges as sort of like his heroes are like, dude, Peggy fucking rules. And we would listen to her over you any day of the week. And then he's like, oh, oh shit. Actually, I mean nothing to these people, you know? They started off the day where he's like, all right, you, 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 and you, uh, you come with me, you, you, you. And they all like, Peggy, which is hilarious. I I truly, that is, I think, one of the best parts of that entire (laughs) section is like, (laughs) that like, you know, again, He's used to doing this like in the bullpen and like being kind of taking lead because like he's trying to follow in Dooley's footsteps. He's a little bit he kind of brown noses a little bit. He's a little, a little bit of a class pet. Cause I don't think he has the title of like assistant, whatever. Right. But he's definitely assistant like I'm I'm your top guy. So when you do step down, 
right. you'll tap me, right? You know, like, right. and I think that like he's used to that sort of thing. And so like the fact that he does this, and again, he's expecting people to be like, you know, sure, let's go for it. But the fact that they all go, hmm, and just all directly turn and look right at her, like, and do you agree with this? You know? And he's like, oh. Shit. Yeah. Like, I mean, one of the things that it, one of the things that, yeah, exactly. It's absolutely humbling. It's a thing where it's like, you know, act like you belong mm-hmm. is a good way to get by on a lot of way in a lot of ways. But what if someone just doesn't let you act like you're like you belong? It crumbles everything oh, that you built. Yeah. <laughs> and like if I'm honest, that's a little bit of why Peggy has to act the way she does at the SSR. Yeah. Is for a while she was acting like she belonged because she did belong. And they right. were telling her that she didn't. So she was like, right. okay. But instead of letting it sort of get her down, she was like, I will feed into your game and I will do things my way, you know? Um, exactly, yeah. And I think that's where all of that ends up. But I, I think it's cool because it's, it's in a way, it's a moment for Thompson to stop showing his ass every single second yeah. and to actually kind of have a moment where he understands how Peggy, I think, feels yeah. at, back at home. And hopefully perhaps turn over a new leaf or, you know, it, to me, it reminds me so much of like movies and TV shows, right? Where it's like the popular guy talks to the nerdy girl and it turns Uh out she's pretty cool. Right. And so you're like, Oh, maybe they're, I mean, I don't think that the two of them are going to date at all during any of this, but like, uh, it's a little bit of that moment of like, Oh, are they going to, in this analogy, be, by ending up together, I mean like becoming friends and like being on the same level. Right. But like right. once he's back home where he is now the cool guy again, he does that thing where like he kind of goes back to being like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm the big dog kind of flexing. But like when no one's looking, he kind of makes a connection with her like, thank you for letting me keep this moment. Right. And then she's like, okay. You it's know. like uh, like Andrew. Lloyd Webber. Nope, that's the one I want to say. Andrew think. Garfield. Nope. Andrew. Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, okay. Anthony, I think his name in, in the movie, I maybe Andrew, but um, it's Brian. Anyways, <laughs> in Breakfast Club, uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character, Brian. Okay, yeah. Um, talks to, uh, I think it's Judd Nelson, maybe also Emilio Estevez, about like, so when you see me in the hall on Monday, are you going to say hi to me? Right. And it's that kind of thing where it's like once you're back in a non-vacuum space, it's also like, uh, you know, oh, baby, I love I love, you know, being with you. I love making out with you or whatever. But don't tell anyone at school. Like, it's that kind of trope, too, where it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did we you can be fr- yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Have I talked about how Greece yeah. this summer? Yeah. OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if we, I think it was in an episode, but I don't think we left all of it in. But yeah, we had yeah. a lengthy conversation about Greece and the awful messaging behind that movie. Well, I mean, I think Greece gets a bad rap for people being like, oh, so she has to change for him. And it's like, I mean, he, he changed does for change. her first. He does change a bit himself. But like, I think I mean, in the long run, drastically. In the long run, though, he doesn't have to change as much. Well, sure. The patriarchy, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, she has to like, quite literally leave behind her entire persona, basically. Now, granted, it could be, this was to kind of be eye-opening, but, like, once we're, you know, once once it's back to, like, things are, quote-unquote, back to normal, like, I'm not going to dress in the leather pants every day. I'm going to sometimes wear so my don't poodle marry skirts, the, yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly, right. Uh, if you can't handle me, me and my at poodle my skirts, Sandy, you don't get me at my... Then, yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, if you can't um, handle me at my Sandra D, then you don't get yeah. to handle me at Sandy or whatever. Right. You don't get it. Never mind. Um, <laughs> Sandy from a Sandy? <laughs> it's like a Hallmark card. Kinnicky's oh, like, what? <laughs> now, I ain't going to lie to you. The boys done and messed up. They went off on a tangent and just derailed the entire show. Let's get back on track, shall we? Tangents. So anyway, back to uh, th- like, thank you so much for dropping into our show within a show. Uh, yeah, Greece pa- is the hey, thanks for being pod. patrons. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank, thanks for coming to Greece is the pod. Uh, and um, and spell it P- G R E C. Yeah, 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 for sure. And now, Frankie Valley, sing us out. <laughs> Start a podcast and we'll see the light. We got a tangent thing, we gotta feed it right. There ain't no danger when you're the creator. We start recording now and we can edit later. Grease is the pod. Before we get into anything, let's get into our only Avengers Ensemble is on is is over here in russia so let's do that real quick okay a russian schoolgirl, which is what she's credited as at credited as or eva as they credited her on mc wiki is a, a, a young lady named bella rochelle which is a killer name that's a double two double l's that's a good um name. uh she was on one episode of fresh off the boat okay and that's it I believe that she is, uh, it said that she was a triple threat, and I was trying to count number of threats, so I think she acts, does martial arts, and then a third thing. And I don't know what that and third kills. thing is. No. And she as an no, actual which, assassin. Which, which player is she again? Or character, I mean? She's the rogue. Uh, no, she's the, the little girl that stabs Dugan. Yeah. So I, mean, I think she does martial arts, and she acts, and then maybe she sings, too. She might too. sing, or she might do dance. Um, yeah. Right. The dance of death, martial I mean, arts. I mean, I will say, in terms of theater... The yeah. triple threat would be acting, dancing, singing. Right. So, right. you know, I imagine if you can do those. Th- I mean, honestly, maybe she doesn't even know martial arts. If she's a dancer. Oh, no, she, she does. Oh, okay. I was going to say. She specifically does. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, because like, you know, at that, at that point, you probably just are like, hey, here's the moves. And they just replicate it with ease, you know. So let's move swiftly on. The Leviathan, the Leviathan soldier gets credited, even though he's like, hey, and then he gets shot and killed immediately, is played by Vladimir Tevlovsky. Uh, he was on one episode of SWAT, one episode of Scorpion, two episodes of Grimm. He was in the Duquesne Whistle music video for Bob Dylan's song, Duquesne Whistle. Uh, I put that in because I like spelling the word Duquesne. Um, it looks like Duquesne. Uh, he was in one episode of Leverage. He was in the movie Salt, which is an Angelina Jolie action movie that I literally watched. And it was over before I knew it. It's literally, I was like, that was the shortest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. All right, so uh, Nikolai is played by Alex Viadoff. Uh, he was in one episode of The New MacGyver, one episode of The Americans. The one he where they shoot guns? Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, yeah exactly, yes. But every yes. time it comes up, we have to mention that, so. Yeah. Uh, MacGunver. Um, MacGunver. Uh, <laughs> one episode of The Americans. Uh, he did voices in uh, Call of Duty Black Ops, Call okay. of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Oh, wow. Uh, Call of Duty Finest Honor. Um, 
He was in Drag Me to Hell, which is a uh, Sam Raimi movie that Aaron heartily recommended to me, and then I never watched it. Uh, he was in one episode of Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, two episodes of Alias. He plays Russian spies a lot. Can you get that? Do you get that? Like, mm, I see. the only now stuff see the he's three. in. Yeah, I see the one. Uh, one episode of the Wild Thornberries, which I put in because, what? Do you know the Wild Thornberries, that cartoon? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm aware. He was in Air Force Smashing. One. <laughs> he was in Air Force One. Uh, Flea did the voice of the of Donnie. Yeah, in that of Donnie. Show. Isn't that crazy? Um, I would love. To, no, I wouldn't. But I think it'd be fun if I was a person that could get a voice, a job doing voice acting, where I just blah, 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 like that'd be very fun. You could be good at it. No, I wouldn't. So Air Force One. Uh, he was in the movie Contact. He was in the Jackie Chan movie First Strike which I put Jackie Chan because First Strike is the last Jackie Chan movie that I was very aware of because <laughs> there was a, a movie called Super Cop, which was my favorite Jackie Chan movie. And then I saw First Strike and then I was like, I'm good. Even though Jackie Chan then had a more career after that. And then before Super Cop was Rumble in the Bronx, which I also didn't watch because I liked Super Cop so much. Uh, real quick fact, uh, the exterior of the Russian school, that, that establishment shop they have, is actually Dartmoor Prison in Devon, England. So oh. it's not in Russia at all. And don't you feel so betrayed? No. Um, so I, what I, the first thing I did some research on is they walk into the, the schoolroom or the classroom and uh, there's, you know, like there's math problems on the chalkboard. There's stuff on the walls around them. But uh, someone, one of them bumps into, I believe it's Lee, bumps into a projector and it starts playing a movie. And that's where they discover that instill fear is subliminally in the thing. Mm -hmm. And you know that what I wanted was to figure out what this movie is. Yeah. And here's what this movie is. It is a cartoon from 1942, Warner Brothers, Mary Melodies, and it is called... The Dover Boys at Pimento University, or the Rivals of Rockfort Hall, also known as the Dover Boys. It is right. uh, 1942, Mary Melody's, directed by Chuck Jones, released on September 19th, 1942. That's why it's a 1942 movie. Uh, it's a parody of The Rover Boys, a popular juvenile fiction series of the early 20th century. It is one of the first cartoons to make extensive use of limited animation, as well as other techniques that would only be more broadly popularized in the 1950s. Animation historian Michael Berrier writes, is the Dover Boys the first modern cartoon? Chuck Jones stylized the animation in this cartoon in a way that anticipated what several consciously modern studios like UPA whoopa, would be doing a decade later. Um, I'm going, I want to read you the plot synopsis because it is absolutely wild, but Please do. I found this is like an eight and a half minute uh, cartoon. Yeah. Did you find it? Oh, uh, it's in the Wikipedia page and uh, we and they they bump into the projector and it plays. We see minutes uh, five minute and 57 seconds through six minutes and five seconds. And I will let you know, I'm going to read the, the plot synopsis, but I'll let you know when when we get to there because I've bolded it and put instill fear in the middle of it. Exactly. Uh, I'll say it subliminally so you won't understand. Oh, OK. Superliminally. Join the Navy. OK. The scene descends upon Pimento University, good old PU, and the school anthem is sung in a 1910s barbershop style. The narrator then introduces the three inseparable, Do inseparable Dover brothers, athletic oldest brother Tom on a tandem bicycle with a perpetual wheelie, 
middle child Dick on a self-propelled penny farthing whose pedals are too far away for Dick to reach, and portly, curly-haired youngest brother Larry on a tricycle. Quote, a gay outing at the park has been planned by the merry trio, and they are off to fetch their fiancé, dainty Dora Standpipe, at Miss Cheddar's Female Academy close by. Yeah, they're all three engaged to her. Um, this was a cutting-edge cartoon in many different ways. Yeah, the boys, I don't think I've ever seen polyamory. Uh, yeah, exactly. In yeah. these cartoons before. Polyfiancery. Unless you count uh, uh, Snow White. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Um, that was more of a <laughs> dwarves with benefits. Oh, what now? <laughs> dwarves with benefits. All right. So the boys are called upon to rescue Dora when she is kidnapped by the nefarious stock villain Dan Backslide, which is what my current name on Zoom Now is. it makes sense. I was like, where yeah. the hell is this coming from? He's described as the former sneak of Ruckfort Hall, coward, bully, cad, and thief, and arch enemy of the Dover boys. His feelings for Dora are summed up in his comment, and this is some of my favorite cartoon writing I've ever heard in my life. How I love her. Father's money. Backslide then steals a conveniently placed unoccupied runabout, which is a car. It's a car. This one that goes, and you kind of like, after loudly declaring his intention to do so, claiming that, quote, no one will ever know, end quote. And this is where our cartoon starts. Okay. And now Mike Lee bumps the projector, and this is where this is, it hits resume on where they stopped it for the lesson for the day. Uh, which he uses to kidnap an oblivious Dora while she and the Dover boys are playing hide-and-seek. Colin, she's counting by five to something. She's up at like 1350 by fives. I'm not sure what she's counting to. Uh, the Dover boys are not don't appear to be playing. She just is counting up against a tree when he takes her away, um, spiriting her away to a remote mountain lodge, but Backslide soon discovers that, despite appearances, Dora is anything but dainty. She proceeds to administer, to administer a sound thrashing to the villain, all the while acting the damsel in distress, crying for help and pounding on the door with the locks on her side and on Backslide until he himself, he is himself crying out for help from Tom, Dick, and Larry. Uh, we don't see the part where she beats him up because this synopsis kind of jumps ahead and then jumps back but sure um although the boys had heard dora's cries for help it is not until quote an alert young scout end quote witnesses dora's captivity then sends a distress signal via semaphore then via telegram to the boys that they respond by breaking the messenger's tandem bike into three unicycles and race to the scene when the Dover boys finally arrive, they lay a few punches on the by now barely conscious backslide before managing to knock each other out in unison as backslide collapses to the floor safely beneath their swinging fists. Dora is then escorted away by an odd gray bearded man in a 19th century bathing suit and sailor's cap who was a running gag throughout the cartoon. It's Jesus. hilarious. So like she, she's like, help, help, help. And then like. They like he hits reverse and she goes, help, 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 help. And he goes again. And then this guy's like, and just sort of like, it's absolutely wild. Uh, 
he uh, appearing periodically to interrupt the story by shuffling across the screen to the tune of Ed Haley's while strolling through the park one day. He and Dora proceed to shuffle off into the sunset as the cartoon concludes with a silent film era Iris out. I just have one thing to say about this and we can move on. I think it is hilarious that the central plot point of this is that all of the men in her life are idiots and she is a secret kick-ass like mm. woman. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes all right. sense. Like, Good job, black or uh, red room film. I was gonna say black widow. Yeah. Good job, red room film curator, like yeah. AV club, I guess, for finding like a thematically appropriate uh, for these fem- movie film. to to right, put instill fear in. Did you have anything that you wanted to say about the Dover Boys cartoon? Because I would recommend you watch it. It is actually really pretty good. I like, just think that my only comment is that Dover Boys sounds like a group that would have gone up against the Burger Palace Boys. Absolutely, 100%. Um, I also, if I was someone going against them, I would have gone, Red Rover, Red Rover, send the Dover Boys over. And then I would have... Shot them. Laid, yeah, <laughs> laid into them. Overboard, <laughs> right. and then kick them off of there my pirate ship. And then uh, show them the movie animal. Overboard with Kurt Russell. And, and play the song Man Overboard by Blink-182 and Blink-182. be like, listen, so sorry it's over, but anyway. So sorry it's Dover. <laughs> so sorry it's Dover. Uh, so the next she thing that happens that. is mm-hmm. that they hear a, a little girl crying, and they aren't creeped out by it. In fact, they want to go see what's up. Yeah. That so they, part's probably the least realistic thing of this entire show. I think they Peggy's like, don't you express your internalized misogyny to on this girl, go figure out what's going on. So they go and they, uh, see that she's crying. Dugan approaches triple D approaches her and, uh, says, Hey, I'm, you know, introduce himself, gets down on her level. Very like camp counselory. Starts talking about his hat because she appears to be um, fascinated with his hat. Uh, he's like, this is called a bowler, which is called that because, and he turns to ask the authority figure in the room, Peggy, why is it called a bowler? And that is when mm-hmm. the little girl pulls out a knife and stabs him deep in the chest. She's got a knife. She does have an, like... I'm going to be the grandpa from Princess Bride here and say she does not die. He does not die in this at this point. Like, right. He, he gets a knife to the like to the chest. And it's not a bullet. Like, it's not like he's wearing a bulletproof vest. She for sure. Just oh, yeah. Sticks no, it's him. lodged in there. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 in there. Yeah, because there's a like, I don't know what the word for it is, but like, for lack of a better term, it is a meaty sound when it gets it pulled is. out. And the explanation given is that there's a lot of layers before you get to skin. Yeah. So yeah, that's why he's not uh, bleeding out. But uh, yeah. So uh, I want to talk to you about bowler hats real quick. Okay. Why are they called? Hey, Peg. Why are they called bowlers? Well, I will tell you. Um, not going to do but, an accent? Oh. And then and this, when you hear this, this is a perfect English accent. Ready? Here we go. Just imagine a perfect English accent going forward from now. Here we go. Uh, it says the bowler hat was designed in 1849 by the London hat makers Thomas and William Bowler 
to fulfill an order placed by the company of Hatters James Locke and, co- and company of St. James's, which had been commissioned by a customer to design a close-fitting, low-crowned hat to protect gamekeepers from low-hanging branches while on horseback at Holcomb Hall, the estate of Thomas Coke, 1st Earl of Leicester in Norfolk. The keepers had previously worn top hats, which were easily knocked off, were, which were knocked off and easily damaged. Isn't that the funniest That's, thing you've ever heard? I just, I cannot imagine someone wearing a goddamn top hat to go do this shit and be like, where am I? I believe I lost my top hat now, Jeffrey. I what need the bowlers to invent a new hat that doesn't get knocked off so easy. I is, need, excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me, yes, alabaster. Yes, I need a, I need myself a, a brand new hat. Could you help me procure? Not quite so Topical, and also top. Uh, needed to just sort of bowl around my head. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly right. Perfect. That's that's I actually have a, a, a synopsis or a transcript of what was said, and that's actually really that's it. So that's that's really impressive. Um, the bowler has had varying degrees of significance in British culture. They were popular among the working classes in the 19th century. From the early 20th century, bowler hats were more commonly associated with financial workers and businessmen working in the financial districts, also known as city gents. The traditional wearing of bowler hats with city business attire declined during the 1970s. In modern times, bowlers are not common, although the so-called city gent wearing a bowler and carrying a rolled umbrella remains a representation of Englishmen. For this reason, two bowler-hatted men were used in the logo of the British Building Society, subsequently Bank, Bradford, and Bingley. Um, The police wear bowlers as part of their uniforms, uh, but this is the thing that I want to to talk about with bowlers. So they're named after the people that made them, unimpressively. Like, it's not about bowling, it's not about whatever. Um, The bowler, not the cowboy hat or sombrero, was the most popular hat in the American West prompting Lucius Beebe to call it, quote, the hat that won the West. Both cowboys and railroad workers preferred the hat because it would not blow off easily in strong wind mm. while riding a horse, unlike the top hats they used to wear. <laughs> That's a good editorial, James. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Uh, or when sticking one's head out, of the wind- out the window of a speeding train. It was worn by both lawmen and outlaws, including Bat Masterson, Butch Cassidy, Black Bart, and Billy the Kid. In the United States, the hat came to be known commonly as the Derby, and American outlaw Marlon Hedgepeth oh. was commonly known, commonly referred to as the Derby Kid. I actually have heard yeah, that the, hat like the Brown Derby, Derby restaurant yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I find this somewhat fascinating though, because like, yes, I totally understand the concept of when you're moving quickly. It yeah. would not blow off. But I find it fascinating that it would be somehow more popular, though, because I feel like the main purpose of these hats is to keep, like, the sun all out of your eyes and sure. stuff like that. So it's fascinating that they're like, this is the best hat, when it's like, but it doesn't really protect you. But, the, but like, if you're trying to do a, uh, like, a sun protection, you might not be riding, like, super fast or on, like, a fast-moving train. So it might be more yeah. of a, like, a you know slow slow ride but like do you remember back to the future three yeah take yeah and that well that was more of a fog hat um that's a great joke um (laughs) in back to the future because the band was called fog hat yeah and we're talking about hats um 
in Back to the Future 3, mm-hmm. Seamus McFly wears yeah. a bowler or a derby. And Marty's like, I'm going to wear this cowboy hat. And then Seamus gives, like, he's, that's oh, a good hat. Like, that means that Seamus is an authentically, like, an authentic Western hat wearer as opposed to interesting one of the many things that 1950s Doc Brown thought cowboys were. But even 1980s Martin McFly had some of the cowboy stuff wrong. Yeah. And I think that's very I think cool. it's, it, it was, yeah. Hmm, never mind. I thought I had a witty thing and then I ended up not having yeah. Great Scott. Great hat. Great uh, content. All right. Uh, the third big thing that I want to talk about oh, is yeah. once they meet, what's that? I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the third big thing I want to talk about is when they meet Nikolai and Dr. Ovchenko, um, they have a blueprint that says Stark Enterprises on it or whatever. And they're like, of course, Stark gave this to us. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what is it? So Nikolai starts talking about how it's an amplifier, basically, a, a, um, a photon amplifier. And photons are, of course, particles of light. Then Nikolai, in one of the coolest, most feminist things possible, turns to Peggy and says, you know how light is both a particle and a wave? And Peggy's like, yeah. Very cool, Russian scientist, for just being like, all right, well, I'm going to say not, so light is both a particle and right. a wave. But like, you know how, you know the thing where light's both a particle and a wave? Oh yeah, sure, of course. Um, it's the opposite of when I bring up movies to Aaron. Um, <laughs> here, see, I'm gonna start that differently. There's a movie called, right. so, <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit about quantum physics to, to take us out of here. Um, and listener and Colin, the thing that I always go by when it comes to quantum physics is this old saying I heard, if you think you understand quantum physics, no, you, you don't. don't get it. Yeah, yeah you're not yeah. understanding something. So it's sorry, I didn't mean that. It, it made me think. I, I knew immediately where I was going to go. It made me think of the, you know, when people post like something on Twitter or on TikTok or whatever, and they're like, "If you know me in real life, no, you don't." Right. Or whatever. Or like, if you've seen this and you know me in real life, yeah. no, you didn't. Right. Like, that's that's exactly where my head yeah, exactly. went. It's like the minute that you think you understand quantum physics, no, you don't. Exactly. Exactly. It's like yeah. Um. So, uh. Light, the, the concept of light as particles and waves uh, expresses the inability of the classical concepts of particle or wave to fully describe the behavior of quantum scale objects. Albert Einstein said, it seems as though we must use sometimes the one theory and sometimes the other, while at times we may use either. We are faced with a new kind of difficulty. We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomena of light, but together they do. So through the work of Max Planck, Albert Einstein, Louis de Bregeel, author Com- Arthur Compton, Niels Bohr, and Erwin Schrödinger, and many others, current scientific theory holds that all particles exhibit a wave nature and vice versa. The phenomenon has been verified not only for elementary particles, but also for compound particles like atoms and even molecules. So not only is light both a particle and a wave, but everything is both a par- particle and a wave, which is kind of cool. Huh, um, and I well, think that, James, I believe it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and particles. Okay, that's very funny. Thank you. And I—that's a T-shirt right there. <laughs> <laughs> or should it should um, be the other way around? Uh, it's Adams and particles, not Adam and Eve. I like them both. We yeah. could sell them both for yeah. both perspectives. Oh yeah. Um, Science for you know, the quantum. If you got them, <laughs> that, no one says that. Um, 
So, oh, okay. Sorry. Final thing. It's the same shirt, but it's always flipped, right? But on one, it's like the Thor hammer that says magic. Very and on the other good. one, it says science, you know? Very, yeah, very good. I like that. Um, and what's a fun thing is we could just sell the shirt and not tell them which one they're getting. And until they open oh. the shirt, it's both. We tell you what you believe. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's both because it's a Schrodinger shirt. Mm. That's a quantum physics joke. Yeah, I got you. So it's fun. It's a big hat. And it's never shown. Um, so uh, then although the use of the, of the wave particle duality has worked well in physics, the meaning or interpretation has not been satisfactorily resolved. Uh, basically, it breaks down once you get into like, like actual like quantum physics. Like mm-hmm. when things get weird, the wave particle thing doesn't really hold up. And uh, can I ask and a question? What that's what, what does that mean? Like sorry, so, what I mean. Sorry, let me try this again. What do you mean by when things get weird? Like the there's so when you get down to like the nitty gritty of quantum physics, mm-hmm. it's stuff like. Um, Hank Green did a, a cool TikTok on this that he basically was sort of trying to laymanize it. Um, it's basically like if I if I set a particle spinning one way, okay. Like if you if you set magnets spinning like one magnet spinning one way and it repels the other one, the other one will spin the other way, right? Okay. There's a thing in quantum mechanics where you can spin the one. And then take that away and set the other one there and it'll start spinning without the first one there. Because it's like it's called quantum entanglement, which is basically like uh, like like a a tin can phone between particles. Hey, you know, I kind of actually understand that part of it because it's in a bunch of fucking video games. Yeah, exactly. So that's quantum so, entanglement. Yeah, baby. It, quantum entanglement can basically it can be a particle here and then and, light yeah. years away doing like communicating with each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where like wave particle stuff breaks down. And then I think also like the you know particles are waves and waves are particles. Like I think they use that in like urban planning and stuff with like people too, where it's like if there's like a crowd of people, it acts like a wave. Does that make sense? Like mm, it, yeah. It sort of moves like yeah. So. Uh, that's all the info I have. I have a couple of pieces of trivia and a couple of quotes. Okay. And Hit then me with uh, them. I'm good. Uh, this episode, mm-hmm. also, this is that would be the end of the away. The home section is way shorter. Um, remember, I, we've only done half the episode. Yeah. Uh, this episode shit. has uh, my favorite Agent Carter line of all time. And if I was to get a t shirt of Agent Carter, it would be this. There shooting their way out of the of the school and it's just dum dum dugan and agent carter left and he says go and she says no you go and then he says what would cap mm-hmm. say if i left his best girl behind he would say and peggy says he would say do as peggy, peggy says. says yeah my favorite thing of all time and if you're wondering if it's called back in season two it absolutely is and i cheered uh, <laughs> number two, uh, Dum Dum Dugan coming up with Miss Union Jack, which is what he pitches mm-hmm. to Peggy for if she joins the Helen Commandos. That's me. That's yeah. that, that. I see myself in that. And then she says, never speak again. And he says, okay. And you know what? I see myself in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
that is a reference to Union Jack, which right. we've already talked about because uh, Falsworth uh, was Union Jack in the comics before he was a vampire. I think we um, also referenced it when we gave our what if scenarios of like if Steve stayed and we had to have a Avengers yeah. form then. Yeah. Who could you bring in? What could you use? And yeah, we, we got into that. I think we also incorporated into the um, uh, man with a plan, a uh, starts with a man with a plan that we wrote for Captain Carter. Too. I believe we did as well. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, the uh, uh, Dumb Dugan gives uh, Yevchenko a, a bottle of bourbon to have a drink of. And then, uh, and then Yevchenko says, I'm going to keep this. Uh, and that is uh, Axel Grease Straight Bourbon Wixie. Oh, shit. Yeah. Straight bourbon whiskey, uh, which doesn't exist and is fictional and is covered absolutely nowhere. There's a MCU wiki article about it, but it's literally just in that episode. There's a bottle of whiskey called that. Literally hold that thought for like 30 seconds. Give me just okay. 30 seconds. So I knew, hang on. I'm not at the microphone. I'm sorry. I knew that this was coming up, and I had accidentally left this in the kitchen. Uh, I knew we were going to talk about bourbon, so get ready to play that marvelous theme. Oh, Colin, nice! Talking to myself. Uh, obviously, as you said, that's a fictional brand, uh, but I have here with me a Baltimore brand of. Uh, can I get it on camera? Maybe not. Not that anyone else can Sagamore. see. Sagamore. This is the Sagamore Spirit Rye. Nice. This is a straight whiskey, but this is the double oak. Uh, this is like, I have two different ones from this place actually, but uh, this is like the really, really good shit. Uh, and I appreciate this stuff a lot. And uh, this was actually gifted to me by, from Baseworks. Oh, nice. Um, because uh, Baseworks knows how much work. That's actually more than I thought I was pouring. It's, it's got a little dark in this room, so I couldn't quite see how heavy I was pouring. Um, I mean, it's not going to get me drunk or anything like that. Hey, Colin. Yeah. Welcome to being the second uh, podcast co-host that I've had drinking whiskey on the recording for the purposes of podcasting. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I just, you know, I'm not going to get like fully into it. We don't, I mean, it is a yeah. long episode as it is, but I just yeah. wanted to say, hey, I knew this was going to come up, but I knew that you weren't going to have any. Uh, I didn't have any yeah. scotch for the other episode when they had scotch, so I was like, I'm, I'm just going to skip that one. Um, yeah. But uh, if you, hey, if you have it, if you have some, pour a little out, and uh, on three, two, one, we're going to cheers. You just sort of put it up to your phone screen, like yeah. as if you're, you know, clinking glasses with me, and I'm going to do that with you. So here we go, three, two, one, clink. All right. And then Slanja. All right, go for, go for it. And if uh, if you're not drinking, then let's all sing a chorus of uh, Straight Edge. Ready? One, two. No, I'm drinking. I have two more things for this. And then home is, I swear, way, way shorter. Yep. Uh, in the comics, Junior Juniper, who is one of the casualties of this uh, excursion, is the only Howling Commando to die during the war. Mm. Uh, he also coined the term Howling Commandos like he claims to have done the previous day. He did a, you know. So does Bucky not die in the comics? He wasn't Helen Commando. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then as Thompson talks about his secret with the, you know, the prisoners of war and all that, there's a really cool thing, and it's probably a coincidence, but as he talks, the light from the window in the airplane leaves and his face gradually gets covered in shadow. 
as he tells his like secret. And I think that's oh, again, it's sure. probably it's a coincidence, but it looks intentional. It looks very I, cool. I think it is. I think it's it's um essentially him putting down his sort of bright and oh look at me, yeah. I've got it all together, and shows the dark, dark secret yep. that he actually has and that he's been hiding the whole time. And then when he and then they basically talk about it some more and it comes back like halfway. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Peggy is lit medium. Like I yeah, I also no, normal kind of I also think that Again, it depends on where things could have gone and where they ended up cutting certain things. But I think that part of season two also initially maybe had other ideas for his character. Mm -hmm. I think they were going to kind of push him down a darker path. And I think that that was sort of some foreshadowing. Uh, Nice. (laughs) uh, Because I feel like they were really sort of setting him up to be, I have this dark past and like i'm also like i'm not exactly this you know golden boy that i appear to be exactly okay so that's away okay here's home here's what happens dotty enters carter's apartment dotty enters carter's room at the griffith hotel and steals her sweet dream lipstick and a picture of one of stark's inventions which peggy kept hidden under a false bottom in her drawer she also notices a photo of pre-serum Steve Rogers and attempts a British accent calling herself Peggy Carter. At the station, Dooley approaches Edwin Jar- No, 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 no. Out on the street, Dooley approaches Edwin Jarvis about... about to discuss a fist fight Howard Stark had with a general the day after the Battle of Finnau, a fight which caused the general to resign and Stark to give up a six-figure military contract. Jarvis claims to know nothing about the incident, but Dooley gives him a card with his phone number telling Jarvis to tell Stark that the SSR isn't hunting for them. Rather, they simply wish to know the truth. Back in the office, back from Russia, Carter and Thompson report their mission to Dooley. Thompson praising Carter's work. Dooley tells him to call in Ivchenko as he heads out and personally congratulates, says personally congrats Carter on her work. Personally congratulates Carter on her work. After seeing Carter in action and as thanks for saving his life, Thompson invites Carter to the bar with all the other men. Carter, glad to finally be accepted, agrees. She attempts to invite Sousa, but Sousa declines. As she leaves, Sousa pulls out the photo of the blonde woman who possesses the same gunshot wound scar that Carter has. Mm-hmm. And finally, as the evening draws to an end, back at the Griffith Hotel, Dottie handcuffs herself to her bed's headboard before going to sleep. So... I have four lines. Ready? Yep. Uh, Dooley says, there's three sides to every story, your side, my side, and the truth. It's which is something line. that I've heard a number of times, and it's a quote. By Robert Evans in his 1994 biography or the 2002 adapt- adaptation of it, uh, both of which were called The Kid Stays in the Picture. So this is a like a 50, a 48-year anachronism uh because or or you know or robert evans got it from roger dooley uh second line uh jarvis checks his tell he's about to lie and he he goes to reach for his his ear and he doesn't uh which you know good job jarvis um here is a fit you know how we sometimes have i tried to do research on this and found absolutely nothing yeah so Dottie breaks into carter's room and Carter has put a piece of string on the lock, like the lock that you 
you know, that, that you turn to open the door. Mm-hmm. So when uh, Dottie opens the door, the string falls, and that should be the way that <coughs> Carter is to tell that someone's been in her room. However, Dottie is also right. a black Most widow spy. trained yeah. spy. So she notices the string immediately, sets it aside for later. And when she leaves, she puts it back. Mm-hmm. So I've seen that in the sting. That's where I famously know it from the, uh, the um, Robert Redford, Paul Newman movie, the sting. Excellent movie. If you haven't seen it, I would very much recommend it. Uh, I was talking to my dad about it and he said that it also happens in uh, the Maltese Falcon. Um, wow. I tried to do some uh, some research on it. People just said it's an old trick. Uh, it, it here and then also like here's what you can do to see if someone's been in your room. So like instructions on doing it. Right. There are there are alternate versions of it where like you put uh, several items in front of the door so that when someone's open when someone opens the door it knocks them out of place and you can see that they're knocked out of place. That kind of thing. There's like putting pieces of hair around the door so that you can see if it's been broken or whatever. Um, So this is the kind of thing that makes me think, okay, so this is like actual spycraft. This is someone in the CIA told someone this and they've written it into movies ever since in mission impossible. The first one, instead of doing this, he breaks a light bulb, thus darkening the hallway to his safe house and then cracks the glass and sprinkles it on the walkway. And so he can hear someone coming to get him which is similar but opposite. We're also um, going to see it again in the MCU. With uh, who? With I don't want to say who it is. It'll because it's okay. a re, it's a reveal. But um, there is a place where there is a coin on top of the door. Does this ring any bells? No. Is it Banner? No. Who is it? It's an Agents of Shield. Ah. Uh, I think. Um, I think Punisher might do something too. I think this is also something Maybe. something similar in Punisher. Very too. possible. I mean, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it in a bunch of things. I mean, it's a classic maneuver. Like TV trip. My it was funny. My dad was like, "Yeah, it's so funny because you can't like." I was like, "Should I go ask a librarian?" Like that. That was where I was with this research. Yeah. Um, but I was like, "Yeah, it's so funny. You can't like. There's not like a website where you can search like things that happen in movies all the time." I'm like, "The website's called TVTropes.org. TV yeah. and <laughs> Like, so, and they had nothing. So, um, that was frustrating. And then finally, in all caps, I was really touched by Thompson saying, come on, Carter, I owe you a bourbon. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I want us to just freeze Jack Thompson right here and never let him move. Because it's probably the last time he's (laughs) at all likable. Like, he has maybe one or two more moments. Cut but. this. Yeah, there are points going forward where he's better. He's fine. Mm-hmm. This is him at his best. This is the most likable the character gets. I think the very first time I actually, I, I think I had actually never seen the entire series all the way through. And so when we first started working on this project, I finally watched the entire series. And I think one of the things I messaged you about at one point was one of the most fascinating things to me is that season one and season two treat Thompson as like a roller coaster Yep. where he starts at like a point where you can't stand him, And then he kind of goes up and up and up. But then eventually you get to a point where you're like, okay, I kind of like him. And then he hits a tipping point and then he makes a quick descent back down. And I think that you, you'll find that if you graph it, I think that uh, Jarvis and Peggy's friendship is the opposite is the exact opposite trajectory. Hmm. 
they start like friends, did, right? Starts friends, and then goes kinda, down, and they come back up. They have some, yeah, some moments. Yeah. And, hmm, so the spectrum is Thompson to Jarvis. Oh, like sound waves where they you know, yeah, counter out, counterbalance, exactly. or whatever. Exactly. And that's how you get true neutrality um, yeah. for the, the Peggy efficient coefficient. Yeah. I don't know. There you I go. Don't I like math. that. I, I shouldn't be making math choices. Uh, yeah, that's. That's all very cool. I like that a lot. I yeah. don't have anything else for for this scene and stuff. I mean, like I like these moments, but like I don't have this is also duly at his least bulldoggy. Like he's like, listen, I just want to know what the truth is. I, like I think that that's also like a really good thing about him. Like I think that there's something that we've talked about before, where there are sometimes moments in this show where people like Dooley or Thompson they really kind of get into the like I'm a cop and I'm gonna be yeah. and like they kind of get into like a very like tunnel visioned idea of things. Right. But like, I think that at his heart, Dooley has never to me, with the exception of a couple scenes, I think that some of his aggression or his like, you know, kind of, for lack of a better term, asshole moments, I don't think actually come from him trying to be a jerk per se. I think it's just like, he's a weathered man and sometimes yeah. he doesn't hold any punches. Uh, and he only a couple of times has like some sort of sexist moments, you know? Yeah. But they're more about like the time versus him, like, and like him being a part of that society versus him actively being like, I hate Carter because she's a woman. You know what I mean? There's He's more of, of a Perry effect. White than a J. Jonah Jemison sort of yeah. deal. I like, would, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, I think that like, there's a, an underlying theme though, that he actually is a good boss and he actually absolutely. is a good detective. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of it comes down to, he gets off of some of his bias and stuff like that when he starts to recognize that there is a larger picture yeah. um, or that it's bigger than he expected. Or I mean, like, honestly, I think the minute that that typewriter first starts typing, yeah. <laughs> I think his trajectory changes drastically. Absolutely. And he changes his mind. Like, he very, like, to me, it didn't feel scuzzy at all when he's like, here's my card, just tell me. No, yeah. I think some people would think that that's a trap, but I think he's genuinely like, something is not adding up, and I want this math to make sense. Yep, absolutely. Like, I desperate, I like, I desperately need this answer. Hundred percent. You know, so I get yep. that. Uh, hey, but that's all that I had for for this day uh, on Agent Carter. So if you want to break into Stark's vault, yeah, take let's us out let's of here. go ahead and do social because that's the quickest one since this is a long episode. Uh, so I'm going to break into the vault and one second, boop, 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 that's all the numbers and Hey, look at that. Crack the code and look at that. You can find a bunch of different files here, sifting through. Here's the show's, uh, Twitter handle, which is at timeline scav. Uh, let me go back to the S's. If you want to go to scavengers network, uh, to follow the podcast network that we're a part of, you can follow them at scavengers net. Uh, hang on one second. I think there might be a file in here. Yeah, sure enough. At Colin M Parker. Oh boy. I'm going to have to tighten some of that up and then uh oh my god james what you've done some stuff because this is a this is a thick folder holy shit i can't even pull it out with one hand okay i uh, did my file in cram oh god uh yeah that makes sense it's uh oh this is difficult to read anyway uh james where can people find you uh people can, can find me and my scrawled uh insanity over at and my uh, mm-hmm 
and my uh, scrawled musings over at Unabashed James. And your scrawl musings as well. Uh, and uh, if you want to follow the gentleman who made the music that you heard at the beginning and the end of this show, you can follow Nick Bermond at Nick Bermond. Oh, sorry, Nick Bermond is the guy. And you can follow him on Twitter at N-B-R-A-M-A-L-D or NickBermondComposer.co.uk. Uh, his file is a little different. It's all digital for us, uh, and nice. all of his files are MP3s. Uh, and they're well composed. <laughs> that, 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 that's so true. Anyway, that's it for the filing cabinet here that I've got. I'm going to just put everything back, put the little key in, and uh, lock that up uh, for future knowledge and future use. Thank you so much for dropping by to this podcast, and we will see you guys on the next episode. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. Excelsior! The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.